pushing buttons and pulling triggers. This is Gun Funny. Welcome to Gun Funny episode 205. Today I'm going to chat with Marshall Tig Davis, discuss the latest push for gun bans by Biden administration, highlight a new PCC from Beretta, and talk about USA gold medals that you may not have heard about in the media. I'm your host, Ava Flanell. Marshall, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm doing well, minus allergies for whatever reason. I don't know why. I don't know what the hell's in the air around this time, but it's always mid to end summer that I just get attacked by allergies and it sucks. You know what it is, is especially with COVID, it's still not okay to sneeze in public. (laughs) I'm always loading up on a bunch of allergy medication and stuff before I go out in public because I don't need people to look at me weird if I sneeze. Yeah, definitely. It's almost forbidden now. I know. (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. You can't even have the average cold, which also one thing I want to point out, my cousin, she's in the military. She got COVID. Then she got the vaccination. And this is all within the last six months. And then just recently, she had a sore throat and they gave her a strep test. And then they also tested her for COVID. She came up positive for COVID, even though it was just her throat that was sore. And now she feels fine. And that's weird because I just don't feel really that sick. So then she takes the test again, comes up negative. Cool. So do I have it? Do I not have it? It's just so annoying. One, okay, well, I thought, what's the point of getting vaccinated if you're just going to get COVID again? Two, why are these tests so unreliable? I asked her, well, what are you doing? She's waiting to hear back from the doctor, but are you going to take a third test to see, okay, do I have it? Do I not have it? And it's so stupid. The whole thing, there's so many inconsistencies that, I don't know, just make it annoying. And actually, still, going on three years, haven't been sick. I don't plan on getting the vaccination. That's my stance on it, but moving forward, Smith and Wesson. Marcelle, have you had a chance to check out the new Shield Plus? I have not. My dad was telling me about it because he wants to buy one for uh, one of our family members. And he was like, what do you think about this for her? And I was like, well, let her shoot it. Yeah. <laughs> let her try it out. And then, you know, we'll see if she likes it. But I haven't shot it yet. I've heard great things about it. And I'm probably going to shoot it soon, probably like next weekend. Yeah, I think it's pretty nice. With all the compact guns that are coming out right now, I would say it's a little bit bigger than the P365 and the Hellcat. Well, I don't know. Actually, size-wise, it's pretty similar, but it does weigh a little bit more. But... I don't know. You can see that in two ways. One, it's cool, more weight that you have to carry, but it also is just a much more flat shooter. And in my opinion, out of all the compact guns, I shoot the best with the Shield Plus. They also have another option. It's the four inch ported version that's optic ready. I don't have that one. That one's from Performance Center, but the original Shield Plus that I have, I think the trigger, they did an excellent job. I think it feels a lot better than the Apex upgrade that you can get for the original Shield. They did a really good job designing it. And then if you have a shield holster, the dimensions on the slide are the same. So it should fit any of the holsters that you already have. So if you want to upgrade that, at least you don't have to get another holster. If you guys want to check that out, it's at smith-wesson.com. And now it's time to get into deconstructing the industry. 
things you never knew on Deconstructing the Industry. Marshall, for listeners who are not familiar with who you are, can you just give us a little rundown as to what it is that you do in the gun industry? Yes. So I am a former military veteran. I'm a firearms instructor. I'm also what I would call a firearms entrepreneur. So I have other initiatives and businesses that are gun related, but not necessarily in the firearms instructor role. I've been teaching classes consistently since 2016, and I teach mostly women in the Atlanta area. Nice. What are some of your other business endeavors? So another one of my businesses is Iron Sharpens Iron Consulting. It's a consulting business that I started to help out firearms instructors grow their businesses, learn how to do marketing through social media, learn how to create a budget, like be a legitimate business owner Mm -hmm. and help them grow. A lot of instructors don't have any business backgrounds or, you know, business knowledge. So that's the one part that I think is kind of hindering a lot of instructors from meeting their intended audiences. So I want to help fix that. Oh, yeah. Another initiative I have is called National Range Day. And it's a holiday that I created to help encourage African-Americans go to the range and learn how to use firearms legally and responsibly. So those are some of the initiatives. And I have a few others that I'm working on that, that haven't been released yet. Nice. That's awesome. I couldn't agree more as far as helping people become more business savvy because you could be the best instructor in the world. But if you have no idea how to get your business out to the public, then obviously you're not going to have anyone signing up for classes. And it's weird because for me personally, I would say that I'm an excellent businesswoman. That's probably my strongest point, better than an instructor, podcaster, anything like that. I just have a great business mindset. And for people like us, it seems like it's common sense. It just comes really easy. But the older that I get and the more I get out there, you realize, huh, not a lot of people actually realize a lot of this stuff or know. And it's weird because even in school, the things that we really need aren't taught. Why don't they teach us how to do our taxes or how to even cook and sew, which I could have used, and then even how to have a business? Yeah, there's economics, but it doesn't really address as much as things that you could really apply to the real world. I think that that's extremely important. When you help people with their businesses, is it mostly females? Actually, no, it's mostly male instructors that come to me. I do know a lot of women instructors out there, and a lot of them have stated that they're you know, inspired by my journey. And I'm probably the person who they saw and decided, hey, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. But I think there is a intimidation factor. I think coming to someone and asking for help, I've realized that not a lot of instructors feel comfortable asking for help with their websites or, Mm -hmm. you know, with a budget kind of just feels weird, especially asking someone you don't know. So what I did was I created Iron Sharpens Iron training events. So instead of people only being able to reach out to me for a consultation, they can come to my event where I do teach a professional development course. So they can still get the information, you know, still get the knowledge without, you know, feeling so afraid to reach out to me one-on-one. Nice. I like that. And then I got to ask, so when you were getting your training credentials and to become an instructor, what was that like? I'm assuming that were you taught by any female instructors or did you have to go through male NRA counselors? Yes. So all of my instructors were male NRA counselors, Mm -hmm. Um, even on the USCCA side, because I do have certifications through them. 
all of my instructors and all the cadre were all men. And for most of those classes, I was actually the only woman in the class at all, Mm -hmm. uh, which I'm pretty used to. And I'm sure you're pretty used to as well. Yeah, that's exactly how my experience was. It makes me consider becoming an NRA counselor, which I could qualify now for. The only thing is I just hate to give the NRA more money. I just... (laughs) But it's one of those things where I feel bad. I went through different instructors because I didn't want to just go with one company. I wanted to learn as much as I possibly could. I went through different companies and a lot of them were just old. I hate to say it, but kind of fuddy. And then some of them were really mean, like drill sergeant-esque mentality. I got along with the instructors, but some of the other students in the class were butting heads with the instructor. and There were arguments in class and it was just Yeah, it was really kind of heated, unprofessional, and just it wasn't a very relaxed environment where you could really learn. I don't know. It was weird. And then also another thing that I felt was really weird was when I was getting the NRA instructor credentials is most of it was focused on how to teach, which I think is great because I think that that's also something that people, you could be the best shooter, but if you don't know how to get that information across to a beginner, it's not doing anyone any favors. I thought that was cool, but it also didn't really teach you to make sure that everyone was teaching the correct subject matter. Now you'll meet a lot of instructors. No, they'll say this. No, that's not true. They're teaching the wrong material. I thought it would be good to learn the material, make sure everyone's on the same page. Have you ever come across other instructors and they teach things differently? Oh, that's interesting. Or they're teaching the wrong information. How do they not learn this and they're an instructor? I've seen that a lot, but you know what I realized? A lot of instructors and people who are avid shooters, they kind of stick to their own echo chamber sometimes when it comes to teaching. So a lot of instructors, they only connect with instructors who teach exactly like they do. Mm -hmm. So they would never know that they're teaching something incorrectly because everyone they hang out with, you know, they also teach everything incorrectly. And that's what I've realized through consulting that bad information is spreading in groups. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It's frustrating. You spent seven years in the National Guard. Was this your first experience with firearms or did you have exposure before the service? It was my first experience with firearms. I was fortunate to be in a military intelligence unit, which meant that my primary weapon while I was deployed was actually a handgun and not a rifle. Mm -hmm. So unlike most people in the military, I actually got a lot of training on both handgun and rifle while I was in. I can't say that it was all great information. I've learned so much more since I've been out of the military, Yeah, but it teach me uh, two things. One being disciplined, being disciplined with your firearm, you know, there's something that you can't really, you don't just pick up overnight. It takes years mm-hmm. to build that discipline in. And then the second thing I learned was comfortability. Uh, mm-hmm. I actually concealed carried overseas while I was in the military in civilian clothes, just like I do here. So I got really comfortable learning different ways and different methods to conceal carry um, as a part of my job in the military, which is also a kind of rare experience. You know, most most soldiers don't get to carry concealed in civilian clothes while deployed. Oh, yeah, (laughs) absolutely. After you got out of the service, what made you decide, I'm going to become an instructor? It was kind of random, actually. I was in Texas living in San Antonio. I was in an abusive relationship. And I decided to just leave like in the middle of the night, you know, just drive back home to Georgia. Mm -hmm. And I had a friend from the military who always said, hey, I manage this gun range. If you ever need work or if you ever, you know, you're low on money and just want some extra cash, you can always come work at the gun range. And, you know, fleeing in the middle of the night, I definitely needed a job. I had no money. 
no place to go. I was just kind of on my own. So I desperately needed a job. And I told him, hey, I'll take anything. I don't care the pay. He says, okay, come in Monday. And I started off as an RSO and fell in love like that same week. I fell in love with being around other gun owners. It was the first time I felt safe since being in that abusive relationship. I felt empowered carrying and teaching other women how to carry and how to shoot. And it was therapy. It was healing for me after going through that experience. And I decided, hey, I want to do this full time. So I got all my certifications. Thankfully, the range I worked at, they paid for everything. I started my LLC in November 2016 and, you know, started teaching classes full time on my own. Wow. When you first started, your business was called uh, Trigger Happy Fire Instruction, right? Yes. What was the inspiration for the name change? So, I mean, Trigger Happy was never meant to be taken literal. Before I started this business and got into the gun industry, I was a very carefree, you know, free-spirited, young 20-something-year-old person. And my friends always called me trigger happy because I would just make decisions. I would just quit jobs, move to a different state, you know, shave my head. Literally, whatever I felt like doing, I just did it because I wanted to, you know, go through my 20s with no regrets and just experience, you know, experience all of life to its fullest. And my friends, they say, hey, you're trigger happy. And they call me that all the time. So that was my nickname. That was my Instagram handle at the time on my personal page. And when I started the business, I said, okay, it'll be, you know, like a double entendre, you know, Mm -hmm. I'm trigger happy in life. She's making bold decisions, but then also, you know, with firearms, it's a cute name, you know, it's, it's fun. And I, I went through the industry for a few years with that name, met a lot of people, had a lot of opportunities, got a lot of interviews. And I ended up working at the USCCA in 2019 full time. And one of the first conversations I had with one of my uh, managers was about my business name. He said, you know, in this position you're in doing our social media influencing, instructing and in the sales team, people are going to meet you and they're going to ask about what you do outside of this. And you're going to have to tell them that you don't trigger happy firearm instruction. And they're going to look at you like we're probably never going to want to work with this girl. I can't take her seriously. And he said it to me, and it was the first time someone said that to me where I really thought about, you know, going forward in this industry, are people going to take me serious Mm -hmm. or am I going to be this young 20 something carefree girl forever? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I was like, okay, you know what? He's right. He's right. I need to change the name. I need the name to reflect what I actually believe in. I need the name to not be something I have to explain every time I mention it, yeah. you know, and something that I'm not embarrassed to share or say proudly, you know, without having to follow up with an explanation. Oh, wait, I don't mean it literally. You know, I don't want to have to do that every time. So I changed that same day to my sister's keeper defense. I made my logo and, you know, that, that's who we are. Nice. And what made you come up with that name? I teach mostly women and Mm -hmm. I got into this industry because I I saw other women who were survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. I look at those women and I realize that I'm changing their lives Mm -hmm. by helping them learn how to use the tools they need to defend themselves so that they're no longer victims. Yeah. And I realized, you know, hey, I am my sister's keeper. I'm doing this because when I see other women, I want them to be empowered to be able to defend themselves and I'm keeping them because I'm helping them save their own lives, helping yeah. them be their protectors. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm looking out for my sisters. Mm-hmm. I like it. I'm going to take a quick break real quick, talk about SB Tactical. 
If you've got one of the Remington TAC-13 or TAC-14 shotguns or a Mossberg 590 shockwave, you know that the grips that the factory provides can be pretty unwieldy. SB Tactile has brace kits for them. They make them much more usable with the extra point of contact from the brace. You can get those with either the SBA3 or the SBA4 braces, and the complete kits are easy to install just by swapping out the factory grip. Best part is they're on sale right now, marked down $40 to $50 depending on the version. Plus, on top of that, if you use the code GUNFUNNY15, you get another 15% off. It's a great deal. Check them out, sb-tactical.com. I want to go back to being in an abusive relationship because I think it's one of those things that a lot of women are like, oh no, I would never do that. If a guy hit me, if a guy said something to me, called me a certain name, I would walk out. And not to say I was ever in an abusive relationship, but I have been really good friends with people that we've been in relationships where you've set these boundaries where if they ever cheated on me, I'd leave. Or if they ever hit me, I would leave. And you set these boundaries, but then when it happens to you, you get cheated on. And then you start making excuses. Well, maybe it's because I wasn't a good enough girlfriend, or maybe I didn't give him enough attention. And for people like I've been cheated on, my friend recently got cheated on really bad. The guy ended up having a baby with the other woman. Oh my gosh. Didn't find out until the baby was born that he cheated on her. By the way, I have a baby now. And so it's one of those things where, okay, well, where is my breaking point? Because if you're still with this person, was it one of those things where you in this relationship where you would make excuses for the person? All right, well, it's okay. Or maybe it was my fault. And it just keeps going and going and getting worse and worse. And before you know it, you look back, how the hell did I end up here? No. So it wasn't a long relationship at all. It was a few months and it didn't start off with the direct contact. It started off with kind of aggressive playfulness Mm -hmm. and it would be like hitting and sometimes scratching and sometimes biting and done so playfully that I was like, okay, he doesn't mean more harm. Maybe, okay, he just doesn't know his strength or he just plays a lot or he's just very, you know, silly like that. Yeah. And everything else in the relationship was absolutely perfect. I mean, like this man was very charming. He was very friendly, likable guy. Everyone liked him. This was the hey, I'm going to pick you up at seven and take you to dinner. Be ready, guy. This was the make me dinner at candlelight guy. So, so charming. But I realized that whole charming personality and everything he was doing, he was trying to train me to accept the physical abuse Mm -hmm. as it started. So in the very beginning, perfect gentleman, perfect guy, but he's still doing these things. And I'm telling him, hey, you're hurting me or you're leaving marks or, hey, you're being a little bit too rough or aggressive. And then he thought it was funny. So I broke up with him. I broke up with him. I stopped talking to him. Unfortunately, we worked at the same place. So I saw him every day and he put the charm on very heavy, like grand gestures. I want you back telling everyone, friends and family members that, you know, he's going to win me back. And foolishly, you know, being the 24, 23, 24 year old person I was, I took him back. And then that's when everything escalated. When I took him back, he realized that I would come back regardless, no matter what he did. And this is when his personality changed. He would drastically shift moods. It would be a fun-loving guy to extremely angry in a matter of minutes. And then I started blaming myself for upsetting him. It's a whole psychological thing where I felt guilty for upsetting him. Mm -hmm. And the very first time he 
actually purposely and angrily put his hands on me is when he's choking me after I told him that I didn't like the taps anymore. And I told him with an, with an angry tone, you know, I raised my voice. I was upset. I said, Hey, you're not going to keep putting your hands on me. And that's when it switched. He choked me. And that's when I knew this man is going to kill me. So from that second on, you know, I tried to play it cool, play it off. Like nothing was wrong. Nothing was going on. I'm okay. Because I didn't want to upset him further to where he escalated things more. I just played it cool and, and plotted my escape. Literally that same day, figuring out how I'm going to leave. The next day or maybe two days later, I left. And I was like, I'm not going to continue taking this anymore. I'm gone. I'm afraid. I don't have anywhere to go. But I have to get out of here because he will kill me. Mm -hmm. So a few other things happened. Like he showed up in my house and, and I was just like, this is crazy. I can't tell my parents. No one can know about this. And I just have to come back to Georgia where I feel safe, you know. Yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. It's just so sad. I'm glad that you recognized it sooner than later, because I do think that a lot of women don't. And believe it or not, I think it's something that we don't talk about as much as we should. But domestic abuse and violence and all of that, it happens. 2020, I'm pretty sure that cops were getting calls nonstop. And I think it was at an all time high, mostly because even if you're in this relationship, you usually have space between you. But with everyone staying home, domestic violence was at an all time high. But it is something that a lot of people or they don't find a way out or I could leave, but I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have the funds. And sometimes it's one of those things where I don't know. And it sounds great in theory, guys just leave. But then the last thing you want to do is be homeless. And I don't know. It's just there's a lot of organizations that are out there too to help women in that situation. Yeah, there definitely are some. And that's my future goal is I plan to help women who are in those domestic violence situations. Leaving is the hardest part. Leaving is the most dangerous part. Like yeah. most women who end up you know, losing their lives in a domestic violence situation. It happens when she decides to leave. And I mean, these guys are crazy, like tracking their phones and reading all their text messages. They have no way to communicate with someone in the outside world. Like there, there are so many women who are literally trapped, almost enslaved in these relationships and have children. They can't afford to feed their children or, you know, yeah. imagine watching your child starve to death living in your car because you left an abusive relationship and you're thinking as a mother, well, dang, maybe this isn't the worst case scenario. Maybe maybe the, the best case scenario is for me to stay, continue to take the abuse as long as I know my children will be fed. Mm -hmm. You know, like that that's a hard decision. I could never imagine having to make that decision between your child starving or you being abused. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's tough. And I, and most, a lot of, not most, a lot of my students are survivors of sexual assault and domestic violence. And they come to me and they tell me all these horrific things they've experienced. And it's horrible. And it's something that I wish I can get rid of, you mm -hmm. know, every abuser, every person who, you know, who's ever done anything horrible to one of my students, like they shouldn't be alive. They yeah. shouldn't be allowed to continue breathing and, and teaching these women how to defend themselves. My hope is that, hey, you know, you, you won't put your hand on her again if, if you can't, you know, if you're unable to physically because she is defending herself mm -hmm. within her rights. Exactly. You know, yeah. that, that's my hope for these women is, is to be able to defend themselves. Yeah. And they're totally justified if they have to shoot them. If yeah. they're in a situation where their life's in danger, you're totally justified in shooting them. And let's face it, it wouldn't be the end of the world. 
I don't think the world would be sad to lose somebody that doesn't think twice about putting their hands on a woman. What are some of the things that you do to make women feel a little more comfortable defending themselves? I teach a lot of females and they're always really timid when they first pick up a gun. And it is, I think back to when I learned, which was only nine years ago. I only shot my first gun nine years ago and it was, oh, it was just so uncomfortable. The minute I had the gun in my hand, you could feel your heart rate increasing because you know, if you do anything wrong, it could be a horrible mistake. And I see a lot of people are there shaking or they start sweating, their glasses fog up. At this point, I could pretty much write a book as to what to expect if you're a beginner shooter, <laughs> whether you were abused or not. It's just one of those things where it's kind of a nerve wracking process until you really get comfortable. And then, oh, I don't even know what I was scared about. But what are some things that you do to make your students feel a little more comfortable? I think it starts from before they even come to the class. So I try to prepare my students mentally for what to expect from my social media page or from just my website. Mm -hmm. And I put as much information about the class as possible. If you have a solid idea, including a video and a blog, you know, and a bunch of instructions and an email about what's going to happen, it kind of lowers your anxiety a bit. Yeah. And then when they come to the class, I've already sent them all this information. I have an e-learning that I have my students do. I have a women's pistol handbook that I send them ahead of time. So, you know, they get to do some, you know, pre-reading ahead of the class. But when they get to the class, I always try to insert humor into my classes. Because Mm -hmm. if I can get my students to be comfortable enough to laugh, then I know they're comfortable enough to learn. Yeah. It's that breaking that ice in the beginning. We're laughing, we're joking, we're, you know, we're smiling, we're having a great time. You know, I'm telling anecdotes that relate to the class so that it kind of lowers the tension a bit. We get to the range and, and it, I'm still serious, but in a, in a manner that is not militant. Yeah. So, um, you know, I'm not yelling. We're not rushing. We're calm and allowing people the space to, you know, release their emotions. Yeah. We have at least one woman every class who breaks down and has like a moment. Mm-hmm. You know, I always ask if it's OK if I embrace the students like this is a class where we can hug if we need to. You know, this is a class where you can cry if you need to. That's what you need to do. Let's do it. And I think that allowing people to show their emotions is what gets most of the women to not freak out so much because they know it's okay if I'm nervous because everyone else is nervous too. And and they allow that here. Unlike a class that may be taught by, you know, a male instructor, you might not have as much room to express those emotions or at a co-ed class where there's other men in the room. Mm-hmm. women usually don't feel as open to be vulnerable in a mixed group yeah. like they do with women's in a women's class. Man, you sound exactly like me, except for minus the hugs. I haven't really, <laughs> I'll hug my student or kind of put my hand on their shoulder or something. But that is the first thing that I do as well as I make jokes. For me, it's the same jokes, but I say them like it's the first time that I'm saying it. <laughs> but that's exactly what I do is make people feel comfortable. Hey guys, it's a fun environment. I just look back to when I was getting my instructor credentials and it was just, all right, guys, and everybody's drinking their black coffee. And okay, (laughs) okay, cool. I still have eight more hours of this. Awesome. Right. And then also I like to inject humor because let's face it, you're teaching the same material over and over and over again, which people don't realize from an instructor's stance. And so I'll joke with my students because it just kind of makes it even fun for the instructor as well. It kind of makes each class a little bit more different. Yeah, I love that. I mean, and I love if I can 
you know, getting on a personal level, you know, with the students. Where yeah. By the end of the class, I know their names and, you know, I can, hey, remember in the beginning of the class, you told me you were afraid of this thing. Now look at you. you yeah. Know? I love doing that. It just makes people feel more comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to take another break real quick and talk about Caldwell. One of the things that's the least fun at the range is loading mags, at least for me anyways. Caldwell has a series of mag chargers designed to make loading your mags easier. They have two different ones for loading AR mags, one that takes ammo straight out of a 20-round box or from three 10-round stripper clips so that you never have to touch a round. Just put the plunger to load your mag. The other works the same way but works with a five-round boxes. The first one goes for $64.99 and the bigger ones go for $99.99. Well worth it, especially if you shoot a lot and if you're like me and you hate loading mags. You can check those out at caldwellshooting.com. Remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY10, you get 10% off your first order. One thing I did notice is based on your social media is you mostly do train African-American women. Do you get a lot of white women taking in your class? I wouldn't say a lot. I would say maybe, you know, out of the almost 4,000 women I've taught, maybe 30 or 35 of them have been non-Black women. So either Caucasian or Hispanic or, you know, not African-American. So I don't get them a lot. But, you know, my classes are open to whoever. You know, whoever wants to take the class can sign up. I don't ask your race or ethnicity, you know, when when you're registering for the class. I think it's just the comfort level. People are are very comfortable with people who look like them. Yeah. That's just a fact. There's nothing wrong with it. You know, it's not racist to be comfortable with someone who, you know, mirrors Mm -hmm. you. Yeah. I think that's why my classes are mostly filled with African-American women. They just feel comfortable learning from someone who looks like them. Yeah. It's so interesting because at the end of the day, we're all women. We're all the same to an extent, but it makes sense. And I'm sure that you can relate more to African-American women than I could. I don't know, not to talk about racism or anything like that, but we can sit here all day long and be like, no, guys, we're all the same. It's weird how even if you, let's say you throw a bunch of just a big mix into a room, the different races tend to group together. Right. We're humans are tribe minded people. We're, We're mammals of tribe. So, you know, I think that's a natural thing. I don't think it has anything to do with society. I I think it has to do with going back to being mammals Mm -hmm. and maybe even a defensive thing. Yeah. Other mammals do it out in the wild. So I think it's normal. For my classes, some of the references, like my class is the same no matter who attends. You know, I might tweak something for for someone who needs it, but no matter who's in front of me, no matter what color you are, the class is going to be the same. Yeah. For my classes, for Black women who mostly attend my classes, there are some colloquialisms and there are some anecdotes and examples that I use that are very relatable to Black women. Yeah. For example, how I explain how you clean your firearm. So when we talk about solvent, we talk about lubricant, we talk about, you know, using the brush. And for Black women, I relate it to hair. Like, okay, so we wash our hair, then we grease our scalp. You know, before we do that, if we're taking out a protective style like braids, we might agitate our scalp with like a comb or something. Yeah. And I relate that to you using the brush on your firearm to get that built up carbon out. Huh. I would have never even <laughs> thought of that. But you're right, because then white women grease our scalp. No, we're trying to prevent that. 
That's why I just washed my hair. This shit's fucking greasy. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So things like that. I'm like, okay, you know, that that's something that is is a a community thing. You know, it's something that's applicable or understandable to a certain group of people. Other women, I might be able to tweak it, you know, so that someone who's not a black woman would understand, you know, but Mm -hmm. the way I explain it, it makes sense to me. Yeah. So things like that, I think, are somewhat of the difference. Also, most of my students would consider themselves very left-leaning, liberal. They would consider themselves Democrats. And I found that the political differences in some of these firearms classes is another big turnoff for students who are Mm African-American, you know, because my NRA instructor, he would consider himself conservative, right-leaning, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a libertarian, so, you know, I'm neither. Yeah, same. (laughs) Um, Yeah, but like most of my instructors that I've had, or probably all of them that I've had, would consider themselves right-leaning or conservative, which to someone who is not, who is coming from the opposite end of the spectrum, and they come to a class around election time, this happened to me last year, and the whole conversation is about who we're voting for. You know, like, that's not why I came to this class. I don't care about that. I'm just here to learn about something, you yeah. know? Yeah. So I've had a lot of students who had that experience. Even going into gun ranges, you'll see the signs supporting one political candidate over another. And they just might feel uncomfortable, maybe. Yeah. But that's something that they have mentioned to me is like, oh, I don't feel really comfortable here. We shouldn't be talking about this. I just want to learn about guns. Yeah. You know, leave your political stuff at home. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, I guess I never really thought of that, but you're right. And especially with last year, there's what, eight to 11 million new gun owners. And let's face it, they're not all right leaning. A lot of them are maybe back in the day. Okay, if you like guns, you must be Republican, conservative. And now that's changing. You can't just assume that everyone who likes guns or has a gun is going to be voting for the next Republican president. Right. And I mean, it's tough, I guess, like you have to choose, you know, if, if you are a Democrat gun owner, it's like, okay, well, I have all these things to vote for on one side, it's my gun rights. And then on this side, I have, you know, all the other things that I, yeah. I care about. That's a hard decision to make. I couldn't imagine. Well, it is because even for me, because I don't really, I don't class myself as Republican. And honestly, lately, I'm just so fed up with just government, both parties. I feel like politics, regardless of what side they're not representing the people. It's all just. It's a show for money. I feel like. Yeah. That's exactly what it boils down to is it's all freaking money. Exactly. It's not about solving the issues because we could already come together and solve these issues. It's just about fighting over them so that people can keep donating money. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's the same thing with pharmaceuticals. If they actually came up with cures, which cool, you can come up with a vaccine for COVID in a year, but you guys can't come up with cures for cancer and all of this stuff, even a cure for acne. Because I struggled with acne as a teen. And it was one of those things where how are we so far ahead in technology and medicine and all this, but you can't figure out how to prevent somebody from getting breakouts. And that's because they don't want to because of the loss of money that they would take. If they came out with a cure, hey, just take this and you no longer have breakouts. It's so frustrating. It is very frustrating. And I mean, and and then having these conversations, you know, in the firearms industry is always tough. I've had actual range owners tell me, hey, you need to tell your students who to vote for. And I'm like, no, I'm I'm not going to tell them that. That's not a part of the class. That's not what they signed up for. But Mm -hmm. they're kind of pushing me to influence my students or try to influence my students' decisions at kind of in exchange for my ability to teach at their ranges. Mm -hmm. 
which is always very tough because I'm like, I don't, that's not my lane. I'm not a politician. That's not what I do. I'm just here to teach these ladies how to use a firearm. That's it. Yeah. Well, I will say I do talk about politics in my classes because one thing I have noticed is unless you're in the gun industry, a lot of times you're not aware of what's going on. And so I'll educate to an extent, like right now with braces, ATF's trying to reclassify the definition of braces, and that could affect millions of people. And most people, unless you're in the industry, you're not aware of what's going on. So wouldn't you want to be aware of, hey, you own this pistol PCC, and overnight with the stroke of a pen, unless you pay $200 to classify it as an SBR, you're going to become a criminal. I'll talk about stuff like that. I would never tell somebody who to vote for, but if it comes up in conversation and somebody brings up something and they ask a question, I'll occasionally find myself going down a rabbit hole where I'm educating people on what's going on just because most people aren't aware. And it's the same thing. If you didn't work in that industry, if you weren't working with craft, did you hear that there was a recall in their cheese? Oh, I have no idea. Because if you're not reading the news, I didn't know that there was a recall. There's listeria, whatever, outbreak. In that case, I will, but I would never tell somebody who to vote for. But I do think that we've kind of reached a point where it sucks to going back to when we were growing up, don't talk about politics, but it's hard because nowadays we are losing so much ground and it's hard not to want to get people educated and to vote for gun rights, but it's a slippery slope. And like you said, most of them, the last thing you want to do is prevent them or turn them off from wanting to own a gun and protect themselves because that should be number one. Yeah, definitely. And I will answer those questions if they ask. Very rarely do my students ask questions about gun laws or like gun control methods or anything. Yeah. Um, But we do talk about reciprocity in the gun law portion of the class. So that's the one time where we, we kind of get into, you know, a little bit of politics because we're talking about policies and how they change and mm-hmm. state by state and all that. But yeah, I'll answer their question and I'll try to be as impartial as possible when I answer those questions. But usually what I do is I'll send them a link like, oh, here's a, a few articles about this. You can read up for yourself and make your own decisions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, like I don't I don't want them to take what I say is like gospel. So, yeah. You know, make your own decisions. Here's the facts. And then, you know, take with that what you will. Yeah, I get it. All right. Changing up a little bit. What's one of your proudest moments so far as an instructor? My proudest moments, I would say having one of my RSOs go off and become a firearms instructor and then start her own firearms instruction business. And her name is Amber. She's in Sacramento. And, you know, it's very humbling for me to see women be inspired by my journey Mm -hmm. and go off to do their own thing. It just, I don't know. I feel like a big sister, like a proud big sister because I was there for her first official class and working all the way through the point where she is now. She's amazing. And always my goal for all of my RSOs or anyone who comes to work with me is that, you know, I I tell them, don't be like me, be better than me. Mm -hmm. So whatever you do, take what I've done, take this blueprint and build and make it better and make it grow, you know, even further than I can. Yeah. So I think that's probably one of my proudest moments. I love that. I read in an article, it was about you when I think in 2017, where you said that your personal mission was to provide training to a million women, which man, that's a lot of people. <laughs> Although huh, last year, I don't know if last year was probably your busiest year, right? Yes, absolutely. At one point I was teaching five, six classes a week. I got to admit, 
and I hate to almost say this, but I feel so burnt out that this month I'm only teaching one class. And then I have other instructors that I hired to teach a few of the other classes, but summers are also kind of slow for me. I don't know. Maybe it depends per state, but fall and winter are always my busiest. And then spring and summer, maybe because people are just outdoor doing other things or spending time with family, but it's always been slow. But in a way, I've always taught more than one class, but I don't feel like it's fair to my students for me to feel so burnt out and they're not getting 100% of me that, you know what, we're just putting one class on the calendar for this month, which I haven't done eight years. But still, 2020 was really busy, but a million women, do you think that you're going to accomplish that? Is that still one of your goals? Yes, absolutely. And I realized that it's not going to happen by me personally teaching each one of these million women, mm-hmm. but as a collective. So I, I would include the, the students that I've taught um, who go on to become instructors, like mm-hmm. the women that they teach. It has to count because I'm, I'm still influencing these women, even if I'm not directly you know, putting my hands on them and teaching them how to shoot a firearm. Yeah. I also include events like National Range Day. National Range Day, you know, is the holiday that I put out directives and I put out, you know, information to all the instructors who are going to host their National Range Days. And, you know, I would include that because yeah. I'm the reason they're even, you know, coming mm-hmm. to range and learn place. So definitely, I mean, honestly, if I haven't done it already, you know, through everything that I put my hands on and that kind of butterfly effect, I know I will before I leave this earth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Do you have any future plans that you can share with us? Yes. So uh, one of them is that I also own my brother's keeper LLC and or my brother's keeper defense LLC. So it will be the co-ed version of my sister's keeper defense. So we do plan on having more classes taught by the male instructors that I have working for me. And they're going to be teaching classes for everyone, even some more tactical and defensive classes that I don't currently teach. They'll be taking over those classes. Nice. I love that. If people want to follow you on social media or take one of your classes, do you have a social media or a website that you can share with listeners? Yes, absolutely. So my Instagram page is My Sister's Keeper Defense. My website is my sister's keeperdefense.com. And on Twitter, I am MSK Defense. All right, guys, go ahead and give her a follow. And if you're in the Atlanta area, definitely sign up for a class. Do you travel and teach classes or is it primarily just in Atlanta? I just decided to start traveling again. So I have a class in Little Rock, Arkansas on September 19th. And then I have a class in Phoenix, Arizona on November 6th. Oh, nice. All right, cool. Cool. Hopefully you'll have some listeners signing up for that. All right, now moving forward, IWI. I've talked about it before, but if you haven't gotten one yet, you need to check out the TS-12 from IWI. It's definitely the ultimate space gun look, really fun shooting. It's unlike any other shotgun you've seen. It has three rotating tubes for 15 plus one capacity. It's the most compact, high capacity shotgun out there. The gas regulator is adjustable too, so that you can tune it for the ammo that you're using to mitigate recoil. Something that you might not know about, they're now available in FDE and ODG, as well as the standard black. Check those out at IWI.us. While you're there, if you find any accessories in the web store, don't forget to use that code GUNFUNNY15, and that gets you 15% off all accessories. Okay, so today in politics. Politics. 
What is going on in the world today? It's political AF. I don't know if you heard this recently, but Biden wants to ban 9mm handguns. Uh, what? Why just 9mm? <laughs> it's so stupid. All these laws. Oh, they want to ban, quote unquote, assault weapons. Well, what's an assault weapon? As if your hunting rifle doesn't do as much damage as a two two three five five six round that you would typically see in an AR. And I think that's what frustrates me the most is just the lack of reasoning. When I hear these proposed laws, well, what makes one more assault-like than the other? In a town hall last week, Biden once again pushed his desire for an assault weapon ban. He talked about how murder and crime is up with no admission of the causes. He went on to say, and this is quote, I am the only guy that ever got past legislation when I was a senator that made sure we eliminated assault weapons. The idea you need a weapon that can have the ability to fire 20, 30, 40, 50, 120 shots from that weapon, whether it's a nine millimeter pistol or whether it's a rifle, is ridiculous. I'm continuing to push to eliminate the sale of those things, but I'm not likely to get that done in the near term. So the simple fact is 9mm, I would say, is probably the most common handgun caliber out there. Basically, what this amounts to is it's a clear intent of packing the Supreme Court with enough politicians masquerading as judges that will make unconstitutional judgments and overturn Heller. Then this makes the next elections in the filibuster more critical than ever. With all the strong supporting briefs going into the New York Rifle and Pistol Association versus Corlett, Currently, before the Supreme Court, they're pushing hard to change the filibuster again so that they can change the makeup of the courts. All senators need to hear from us and that the filibuster must remain, especially Senator Joe Manchin, because if Biden wants to now start banning 9mm handguns, they're not just coming after stuff that is scary looking. They're just trying to basically disarm you from most guns. And like I said, 9mm is probably the most common caliber that people would use for self-defense. Marshall, what do you think about all of this? Um, I think it's absolutely ridiculous. I think it's a waste of taxpayer dollars to even propose something like this. But again, I think politicians, they have a role to play. You know, I don't think Biden or his administration genuinely care about the safety. Yeah, yeah. Like they don't actually care, but it's, it's the role they have to play. You know, it's the thing that they were hired or, you know, selected to do. So I just feel like it's something that just keeps their keeps their talking points in the news. It's definitely never going to go through. And yeah, it's their role is what they have to do. So it's just so frustrating because you look at statistics and what causes the most amount of deaths and people drown. There's more deaths due to swimming pools or suicide rates are at an all time high. What are you doing to help mental health? Nobody's addressing major concerns, or even if it is gun violence, why aren't we addressing the real concerns? What is going through people's minds that they feel the need to have a mass shooting? You're just trying to take away the instrument that's used, but other countries have already proven that if you ban guns, there's always going to be something else. You can literally take a vehicle and run over people. That's not solving the issue. I think everyone wants the quick fix. The quick fix is let's let's think about the tool. And the longer real thing that we have to think about is, you know, why are people so uh, quick to end other people's lives, Mm -hmm. you know, have no moral compass at all? Like, where do we go wrong as a society where people are 
you know, taking people's lives for granted and their own. And then two, like socioeconomic issues. You know, a lot of these gun violence issues are because of money. They're in poor neighborhoods. These people don't have jobs. They don't have any means to get the things that they need to survive. So they steal, they take, and it's definitely not an excuse. Obviously they shouldn't be doing those things, but like on the bigger picture, how do we stop that issue? How do we make it so these people actually have jobs or have education or have access to the things they need to succeed without having to use a gun to take it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Manicore Arms. I talked about the TS-12 from IWI. Manicore Arms has you covered if you have a TS-12. They have the curved butt pad, which is a game changer. If you shot one, you know, eventually your shoulder's going to hurt. For me, it did. The butt pad definitely helps to alleviate a lot of that discomfort that you might feel. They also, I don't know where I've been, but I didn't realize that they came out with a muzzle brick for the TS-12. And I'm sure that that would be a game changer because when I was shooting my TS-12, I was doing it at indoor range because it was winter. So I had to shoot slugs, which was not fun considering the shorter barrel. There was quite a bit of recoil. The muzzle brake would definitely reduce a lot of that. And they also have the, I can never say this, but the, the curled charging handle. And that just helps for you to get a better grip. It sticks out, I think, an extra inch or something so that you don't have to rack your knuckles when you're loading the round. Check all of that stuff out. That is at manicorearms.com. Don't forget to use the code AVAROCKS15, all one word, and that gets you 15% off your entire order. Q&A. There's no such thing as a stupid question. Just kidding. Visit gunfunny.com forward slash contact to submit yours. Today's question is, well, we actually don't have a question. Nobody submitted one this week, but I made up my own. Summer is coming to an end. Any plans before fall? And that's because I looked at the calendar and, oh my gosh, it's already August. And as a lot of my friends that have kids, they're getting their kids ready to go back to school. And I always hated this time because once kids start going back to school, then before you know it, it's fall. And I don't know, it just kind of bums me out. I'm definitely one that enjoys the hot weather. And then when leaves start falling off trees and everything looks dead, it totally... I don't know, maybe I suffer from slight seasonal depression. It's just, it depresses me. (laughs) I've been making a list of things that I want to do before summer ends. One of the things that I recently did was I bought a stand-up paddleboard, an inflatable one. And so I'm learning how to do that this weekend. That's what I'm planning on doing. I also discovered there's this really cool concert series in this park, which I've never even heard of this park or seen it. It's all fenced around. It's in Colorado Springs. It's called Hillside Gardens, and it was gorgeous. And I guess every Wednesday evening, they have some concert series. It's different music. I didn't love the music. Sometimes it's 60s, 70s, hard rock, whatever. But they had all these little bands dispersed all over this garden and little liquor trucks and food trucks. And it was just really fun. I'm planning on trying to attend every Wednesday until it ends, which is, I think, at the end of September. I went to the Renaissance Festival, which was interesting. I've gone previous years, but this year with everyone moving to Colorado, I've never seen it so busy. It was packed. It took me like an hour just to park once I got off the interstate. It was insane, but that was still a lot of fun. And it was cool just to see a lot of people grouped together without wearing masks, that feel of normalcy coming back. 
Marshall, what about you? What have you done this summer that was cool? What do you still have plans? Are you like me where you get kind of sad when fall's coming or are you one that likes the winter? I absolutely do not like the winter. <laughs> My birthday is in October, so I'm turning 30 this year. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm grown up. <laughs> yeah, well, guess what? Your metabolism before the show started. I'm, yeah, I'm 35 now. Your metabolism just goes to crap. <laughs> So you have that to look forward to. (laughs) Yeah, right. I'm looking forward to having to increase my workout routine. Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, But yeah, I definitely have seasonal affective disorder. Like my therapist legit diagnosed me a few years ago. So I do get the winter blues, I guess. What do you do to overcome that? Do you have one of those seasonal depression lamps where it admits vitamin D? Yes. So I have a bunch of those lamps. I change all the light bulbs in the house. To mimic natural sunlight, I take vitamin D every day. I mean, I make sure I get out my vitamin B, vitamin B12. Like my vitamin intake increases exponentially. Even my iron that I have to take because I'm anemic, you know, I increase everything. You know, hmm. I got to pump those numbers up. Man, so maybe <laughs> I should do that because I got to say, like last year, I really felt it. And I'm just really sad. I have a really beautiful garden, my front yard, my backyard. It's all pretty covered in flowers. And man, all that stuff dies. And then it just looks like crap. And yeah, I don't know. And then when it's cold and then snowy and the sun doesn't come out, I don't want to do anything. I just want to go and cuddle in bed and watch movies. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. I'm extremely lethargic. I don't want to do anything. I don't want to work. I usually take the entire month of December off or maybe teach one class and then take, take the rest of the month off. But we do go to Florida. I'm originally from Florida. So we do go back home, my boyfriend and I, to see our family. So it's not that bad because it's super hot in Florida in the wintertime. Yeah. Well, I've been trying to figure out how I can come up with a way to have a winter house in Arizona or somewhere just warm, somewhere where it's not, it doesn't have to be super hot. Just the sun just comes out. I don't mind wearing jeans. I don't have to wear shorts every day, but I need that sun. You should definitely do that. Yeah, but I don't know how that even works because then what do I do with my house here? Meanwhile, when it snows, I'd have to have somebody shovel my driveway or at least my sidewalk because if somebody falls and slips, then I get sued. And then what if there's a water break or something in my house and it floods, but nobody knows because nobody's here. You can hire a house. Yeah, I might have to look into that. I don't know because I'm telling you the older I get and I'm not even that old enough to be a snowbird or something. Oh, snowbird. Yeah which people in their 70s do, but I'm not that old, but yet I'm already feeling it. I need to start planning my escape. Yes, I mean, you can just rent it out the other half of the year, Airbnb, maybe the summer home. That's true. So do you have any plans before fall? Anything on your bucket list? Because you always think you have all this time. Yeah, summer's here and we're going to do this and that. And then next thing you know, oh man, it's coming to an end. All right, I need to start really planning and making this happen. (laughs) Um, no, not really. I mean, I did my, I usually do two big trips during the summertime. So I did my Colorado trip last month and I did my California trip this month. So, you know, I got to see all of my family and I'm good. Uh, my birthday, we're going to somewhere in South America for my birthday. Oh, wow. That's and cool. That'll be pretty fun. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. But you're not really sure where? I am. I'm just, you know, because, you know, the military teaches, you know, opposite. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it'll be somewhere in South America. Nice. (laughs) All right, cool. Well, yeah, the big 30. My 30th birthday, I went to Vegas. That's fun. (laughs) Shot Show has ruined Vegas for me. Yeah, I know. Well, this was before (laughs) Shot Show. 
Well, actually, no, it wasn't before SHOT Show. I was going to SHOT Show, but I actually was still having fun at SHOT Show where nobody, not to say anybody knows who I am now, but I was still just a little peon instructor and had my FFL and I'd walk around and I didn't feel obligated to go to certain booths or see certain people. I didn't know that many people in the industry. And plus, my birthday is in July, so it wasn't cool SHOT Show. And then next month, I have to go back to Vegas for my birthday. But but it was fun. I bought tickets for all of my friends and we got some really cool like an Airbnb or something. But it was super nice and it was on the strip and it was fun and memorable from what I can remember, actually. Yeah, that sounds fun, actually. I don't think I've ever been to Vegas, not for work. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm just over it. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. I know. I hear you. All right. Well, guys, just remember, if you do have anything that you want to accomplish before it gets cold, go ahead and do so, because at the end of the day, life is short. Oh, and one other thing is when I went to this summer series thing, so totally just went on a whim. It wasn't really planned. I just heard about it. So I went and didn't have any makeup on or anything like that, because believe it or not, most days I actually don't wear makeup and I have no problem going out in public without makeup on. But then when it's my Instagram, it's like, all right, put makeup on. But I was asked to dance. There's music, just horrible music. But you know what? I didn't really want to dance. I felt sort of uncomfortable doing so because uh, I look like I'm homeless. You know what? Who cares? Life is short. Just freaking dance or eat the cake or whatever. Because exactly. really, you just never know. And once I got up and danced, I laughed a lot and smiled. And mostly because, like, oh, my God, I can't believe I'm doing this. And I probably look horrible. And if you guys have ever seen me try to dance, it's laughable as is. I have no rhythm, even if it is just two steps. So it just made me laugh. I just laughed at myself pretty much. But you know what? It brought a smile to my face. And at the end of the day, that's, I feel like, what life's about. So go ahead and do all that stuff and check that bucket list off, all those things on the bucket list, and just live your life. All right, primary arms. I talk about them a lot, but there are so many good optics to pick from when it comes to primary arms. Whatever kind of shooting that you want to do, they've got one. Low power variable optics, fixed prism scopes with different caliber reticles, long range ones, you name it, they've got it. A great example is the GLX 2X prism with ACSS CQB for the 762 by 39 or the 300 blackout. Awesome for an AK or an AR in those calibers, and it's got great eye relief. And one of my favorite features, Auto Live, I'm always forgetting to turn off my optics, so that's a game changer for me. In fact, just recently I had to travel with my AR, and before I went to the airport, I wanted to make sure that my AR was zeroed in and totally forgot to shut off my optic, which wasn't the end of the world because they last forever, but it was still one of those things that I woke up in the middle of the night realizing that I forgot and it kind of kept me up, <laughs> which is dumb, but I'm a huge fan of the auto live and then it automatically shuts off when it's not in use. The CQB reticle is great, giving you 50 yard, 200, 300, 400, even 500 yard hold points with a clean reticle that's fast and easy for close quarters as well. Check all those out at Primary Arms. Remember, if you buy a Primary Arms optic and you use the code AVA, A-V-A, you'll get a free scope mount with every Primary Arms optic. Today in Tacti Talk. Tacti Talk. Discussing popular guns and gear. Love it? Hate it? Find out now. 
Beretta reveals new PCC, which I got to say, Beretta, I don't follow them a lot. I actually didn't even know that they had a new PCC. In fact, I should click on this because I haven't even looked at it. Beretta announced a new semi-auto version of the PMX. The PMXs are for the civilian market overseas, which is probably why I'm actually not even familiar with the PMX. The PMX was a submachine gun designed to replace the Uzi introduced in 2017, which incorporates a lot more polymer in the design than the traditional Uzi and increased rate of fire from 550 rounds per minute to 900, which that's incredible. The civilian version, of course, is strictly semi-auto and is already available in Italy and will go to other countries next year. The design of the civilian version definitely looks geared towards the current trends of the PCCs with folding stock, full-length top rails, accessory rails on the forend. They've also included ambidextrous controls and swappable charging handle, which has become kind of the standard for most PCCs. Also, it comes with a half by 28 threaded barrel, which is really the only thing that would need to be changed for the U.S. market. The version currently available only has a 7.2 inch barrel since they don't have the ridiculous barrel length restrictions of the NFA in Europe. It's also chambered in 9x21mm instead of 9x19 Luger, since that is considered a military and police round and is restricted. Change it to 9mm Luger, remove the stock for a pistol version, and make it a 16-inch version with the stock, and it would be a nice cool addition for the PCC market. Hopefully they do before any crazy importation restrictions get put in place, because I feel like that's kind of going to be expected soon. But yeah, other than that, it looks like a lot of fun. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe in the near future, well, in the next couple of years, I'll get my hands on one. Let's see. We talked about cleaning guns, relating them to your hair, which I was kind of thinking, well, you need the soap. And you clean off the soap, the oil, and then you got to condition it. That's how I would do it. Yeah, I think conditioner makes sense too. It's not <laughs> yeah. using grease. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. Some of us kind of neglect our guns a little bit, which guys, you have to take care of your guns. How often do you hear, yeah, there's something wrong with my gun? And it's, oh, well, what do you know? It just needed to be lubricated or it just needed a good cleaning because it's just so gunked up. But Tech Mat has made it really easy to do so. So they make really cool mats different sizes, but I personally always like to use some sort of padded surface to clean my guns on instead of a hard table or even a table that I'm eventually going to eat off of because you don't want all that residue and stuff like that on your table. Check them out. They have lots of different designs, really funny designs. They range from as low as $13.99 with their largest mats ranging from $30 to $40. Yeah. And they have patriotic designs, really kind of cool designs. Check those out at techmat, so T-E-K-M-A-T dot com. Remember, if you use the code GUNFUNNY20, you'll get 20% off your order. AF segment. Stupid, funny, cool, interesting, awesome, as f- Never mind. AF. Team USA stacking gold. Several members of Team USA have been stacking up the gold medals this last week. But I've noticed you don't really hear about it too much in the media. That's because they're winning in shooting sports. The shooting teams and boxing teams spent the winter training in an abandoned Macy's in Colorado Springs because their training center was closed due to COVID. That's interesting because I actually know the Macy's that they trained out of. 
On Sunday, Will Shaner from Colorado Springs and a mechanical engineer student at the University of Kentucky won gold in his first Olympics in the 10-meter air rifle. Then on Monday, Amber English won gold in women's skeet shooting, followed by Vincent Hancock in men's skeet shooting. All three of them set record scores. Hancock previously won gold in Beijing and London, while this was Amber's first Olympics, and she defeated the reigning champion by a point. Amber's also from Colorado Springs and a lieutenant in the U.S. Army Markmanship Unit. After the wins, Morgan tweeted, and I'm not sure who Morgan is, least surprising breaking news ever. America's first Olympic gold medal is for shooting. Hashtag Thrasher. It's well known that the Britain news person Morgan knows nothing about guns and even less about the laws and actual crime statistics in the United States. Matt Suggs, the chief executive of USA Shooting, responded, What we do out here on the skeet field and on the rifle range has nothing to do with the crime and violence. He went on to say, We don't tell our athletes what to say or believe, obviously, and you'd be surprised how many of our athletes have widely varying views on the political spectrum. But when it comes to ownership of firearms, because it's part of what they do, They're all in lockstep with the Second Amendment and believing that somebody should have a personal right to own a farm, whether it's for sport, for protection, for hunting, or whatever purpose they desire. Kim Rode, who won six gold medals in her Olympic years, was there to celebrate with them as well. As one of the most accomplished women shooters in the Olympics, she hasn't gotten much media attention, but she is a strong advocate for our rights. She is the lead plaintiff in Rode versus Bracera that case that Judge Benitez ruled in favor of overturning California's ammunition sales restrictions. Although I did Google right before the show, the Olympics, and it looks like quite a few other countries are winning medals in the shooting sports. I think it was China, which is kind of impressive for other countries, especially when I got to imagine training probably isn't that easy, but I don't know. Then again, it is. I don't know, actually. I don't know. What do you think? Because in countries where guns aren't even legal, how do you train for stuff like that? I'd imagine there's not ranges set up. They probably have private ranges that they've built themselves just to train for the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, how they'd have to do it, right? Yeah, that's what I would think. But either way, it's pretty cool. And obviously, they have to be phenomenal shooters. So good job, guys. And uh, keep up the good work. And now time for iTunes review. So we actually only have one. After that, nobody else left a review. So if you haven't, now is a great time to get on to iTunes. Just search for Gun Funny and leave a review. Today's review is Burnett Timothy A. Birthday, five stars. Happy birthday, Ava. This is a really good podcast. I highly recommend. And normally I would have the guest pick a winner, but because you're pretty much undefeated, Burnett Timothy A, you are the winner. Contact me, go to gunfunny.com, click on the contact us form and send me a good mailing address. Now it's time to wrap up. If you guys like the show and you want to support it, you should consider becoming a Patreon. You get lots of little perks with becoming a Patreon. You can sign up at gunfunny.com. Just click on the support the show link. Blown Deadline is giving away a $300 gift certificate to a lucky patron each month. If you guys haven't seen his work, just search Blown Deadline, and he has some of the most amazing Cerakote work, I think, in the industry. I want to thank the $25 Patreons who are Corbin Bonafide, Iraq Veteran 8888, Ryan Morrison, Justin Paulson, Jason Anderson, Sportsman's Guy, Daniel Treadwell, Keith Callamore, and Melissa Ridings. King of the Patreon, John Snow, he wants me to say, 
Someone once gave operator tickles the finger. She still has the finger. All right, Marshall, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. And honestly, everything that you do in the industry, training women, we definitely need more people like you in this industry. And I just wanted to thank you for all of your hard work and dedication. I love everything that you're doing. So keep up the good work. Can you just remind listeners once again where they can follow you on social media and if they want to sign up for a class where they can go? Yes. Uh, so you can reach me at My Sister's Keeper Defense on all social media platforms. My website is mysisterskeeperdefense.com. And thank you so much, Ava, for having me on the show. I had a great time and I really appreciate it. Of course, you're welcome. All right. On that note, guys, we will see you next week. Want to send feedback? Tell us about a company or anything else. Go to gunfunny.com forward slash contact. <laughs>